it's so much deeper than just putting people in a room together to connect. I think a lot of people, when they hear that word, they're like, oh, well, I have plenty of connections around me. I'm not lonely. But the truth is that those connections aren't marked by this quality of conversation that you're talking about, then you can feel isolated and alone, even in a room full of people. Yeah, it's not marked by that quality that brings more meaningful listening and deeper connection, which none of us are taught. And those of us struggling with addiction, who've likely also navigated different kinds of attachment trauma, are particularly inclined to either avoid deep relationship or engage it in a way that, that keeps our most vulnerable selves protected. And that, that keeps us from being able to experience connection in a way that's really healing. So yeah, I, I get so psyched about how we can repattern that and like teach each other how to just talk to each other in a way that's more real and more meaningful. Stories are powerful. powerful. Welcome to the Rise, Recover, Live podcast brought to you by The Phoenix. This is a space where people impacted by substance use can come to share their story of strength and resilience, get open and honest, and inspire hope and build community through shared experience. We'll be talking to people in our community on their own recovery journey and shine a light on the topic of recovery in all its forms. Maybe you'll hear some of your story in theirs. Let's show the world that together we rise, recover, and live. What's up, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of the Rise, Recover, Live podcast. We are your host, Bryce the Third. he, him pronouns. Liz McKean, she, her pronouns. What's up, Liz? How's your energy? My energy is, uh, um, I am excited about this conversation, and yeah, it's been a, it's been a productive Monday so far, which I don't think I say that every Monday, so... It's a win. <laughs> How about you? I'm excited to have this conversation too. I've heard quite a bit about seek healing, and I'm I'm excited to dig into um, the motivation behind the organization and the work that they do from this individual today. Mm-hmm. I am also, like I said three times before we press record, <laughs> chilling. <laughs> I think I'm four. Actually, it was I'm, really I'm, well established. <laughs> I'm really chilling. Uh, I ran a couple miles this morning. Um, did some meditation. Dug into some work. I'm reading Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way. So I'm doing the morning pages, three pages of longhand in the morning. And today I just like gave myself a lot of space, a lot of space to just be who it is that I am. And in that, like, I've been able to get quite a bit done. So that's pretty dope. That is amazing how it works that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, who do we have? Let's not keep the audience in suspense, Liz. Oh, my goodness. I know. Suspension is building. Um, today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Jennifer Nicolaisen, who is the founder and executive director of Seek Healing, an Asheville based nonprofit pioneering a novel social health protocol for addressing loneliness and social disconnection as the root causes of the substance use epidemic and other national mental health crises. And I can say from personal experience um, that it is a experience like like nothing that I've found anywhere else. And it's really exciting to be able to hear more about it on this conversation, to be partnering with uh, Seek Healing you know, as the Phoenix. And just knowing that this kind of work is out there in the world is makes me feel better about the world. So can't wait to hear from you. Jennifer, how are you? Thank you for being here. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm feeling great. I really enjoyed hearing how y'all are doing coming into this space and can say that I also feel like I'm pretty grounded this Monday. I had a like emotionally big weekend and let myself sleep last night. Um, I slept in like a little bit later than I normally would on a Monday morning. Um, but felt, yeah, just came in today feeling like integrated. Like some stuff that I'm processing and working through is coming together in a way that I can talk about. 
um, which always feels good, you know, when that happens. Yeah. And it's kind of flowed into a pretty productive work day myself. So kind of vibing with you, with you both on that. Mm, it's so interesting that you used integration and rest kind of like in the same breath. Uh, I was doing some teaching this past weekend and the conversation came up around, you know, hustle culture and not allowing mm. for ourselves to like rest, but like literal sleep is, is like our brains take that time to integrate all the stuff that we're learning when we're ripping and running. And hustle culture says just rip and run. The more you can rip and run, the, the more you'll get done, the more, you know, and, and maybe the more, the more you'll learn, but uh, wisdom is cultivated in those moments of rest. And so, uh, especially when you speak emotionally big, like I, I've had experience with big emotions myself and I know how important it is to allow for rest in those spaces. So I would say we're all in the right place today. I hear that, yeah. Well, Jennifer, I'm, I feel like I have so many different things that I just want to ask you because I we've had conversations about the work that we both do quite a bit, and I definitely want to get into that. But I'm also just excited to get to know you a little bit. And uh, you know, I, I feel like so much of ourselves is wrapped up in the work that we do when it is so personal to us. So I think go right going right into kind of that space. I know you've you've told us that you identify as a person in recovery, um, but I feel like that means something a little bit different to everybody. So what does that mean yeah. to you? Yeah, totally. I appreciate having the, the chance and opportunity to, to tell my story here. So thank you. And I appreciate the question, both for everyone who's listening to this and like you said, for the purpose of, of getting to know you, know, get, getting to know you better, <laughs> Liz, and you, Bryce. I know we're just meeting for the first time, but I appreciate the space. I am in recovery. We were just talking about hustle culture and I feel like I, I am both in recovery from addiction and from hustle culture <laughs> and uh. from corporate hustle culture in particular. Um, if you were to rewind my life eight years ago now, I have eight years as of October 8th. And um, before that, I was working in private consulting for oil and gas industries mostly or for, for any kind of large, major capital-intensive corporation that builds big capital projects to extract resources. So oil companies, mining companies, um, and then downstream like petrochemical companies. I'm a linguist and statistician by training. So that education serves me getting into um, hustle culture (laughs) and that like (laughs) rat race (laughs) of chasing the promotions and at that time in my life, I was very much seeking. I think, you know, if I really drop into the core of what was beneath my substance use, it was seeking and chasing validation outside myself. I always gravitated towards drugs that would help me go faster um, and live mm. more hours in a day that I could like get more gold stars, whether that was gold stars at work or school or socially. Like I wanted to simultaneously be the best possible employee or student and also like the most badass, cool person um, to hang out with. And so that just resulted in not sleeping a lot and yeah, burning myself out pretty hard. I am. Um, I went to rehab in my, a couple times at the end of um, high school and in my early twenties and I honestly didn't get very much out of it. Um, <laughs> my experience like at the end of both um, times was kind of a, a slap on the wrist, like, no, 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 those are the illegal ones. Here, here's the legal mm. ones. In my case, like particularly Adderall and Vyvanse and that whole brand of um, pharmaceuticals, which really were just like substitutes for for me. It was a they did not serve me because it was just a slippery slope back into using other amphetamines. And um, 
Yeah. So everything shifted for me. Like, well, finally was my, my turning point came in me. convergence with a really intense experience I was having um, with a friend who was dying of her bond with opiates at the time. She'd been using heroin for a couple of years. And I was like, in DC, living this life I'm telling you all about. I was making a lot of money, traveling the world, visiting clients in different countries and things like that. And she was in a very different experience for her life. And it's kind of a long story, but she survived like this one last, thank God, like last overdose that she survived. Uh, but I connected with her around afterwards and she was just so done. So done was being alive. She was so angry, <laughs> you know, just like really angry at everyone for, for bringing her back at all. Her parents were just like not, they're just, they were also done, like not going to pay for treatment again kind of thing. And I decided to combine forces with her to figure out like, what can we do to keep her alive? And then with that, which like was going to, uh, she'd been to traditional treatment like eight or nine times at that point. So I had heard about this alternative form of detox called Ibogaine-assisted detox that's not available in the U.S. And we ended up figuring out how to get her to Mexico, how to get her into this treatment protocol, um, which totally saved her life. I have never, it is unreal. I don't know how much like you want to go into that part of it, but like... That was, it was so stunning to see what happened for her in that process and to be with her as she started to unpack the trauma that came up through her detox, that I had this incredible mirror effect happen where like through our relationship, she was holding up this really powerful mirror for me to look inward and see where, just how empty my life was um, and how much I was just like skimming the surface of my own trauma to avoid like... (laughs) taking the diet that she was taking. So ultimately my own decision to go to the same detox center was uh, a result of that, like the magic that happened in, in that relationship that summer and, and in her journey, her her being brave enough to take the first step into recovery. Uh, uh, I, I, I see uh, immediately, like I see the correlation between like the gold stars and wanting to be the best friend, the most badass friend and seeing somebody and then wanting to show up in service Regardless of the motivation, maybe the motivation was, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be the best friend for this person. But in that, like when you really served your friend and you saw what worked for her, like that led you to what it is that you needed to be able to begin that conversation with yourself. Yeah. And like it really dropped me into the, the heart, the authenticity of it. Whereas before, like you said, it was a little bit of, I think there was a little saviorism in there, you know, there was a little bit like, I can, I can save her. Like I can, I can show up and get that gold star in this situation, you know? And would you say the name of the detox was? Ibogaine? Ibogaine assisted detox. Yeah. Are y'all familiar with that? I've heard a little bit about it, uh, but not like super familiar. Yeah. It's a, it's not very well known. It's a, um, Ibogaine is a psychedelic and it's, uh, uh, in particular, has a biological impact on opioid addiction. So Mm. it's the only plant-based medicine that I'm aware of that um, immediately stops opioid or any type of medication for that matter, besides like naloxone, that stops opioid withdrawal symptoms as they're happening. So someone can be like two or three days into being dope sick and all their symptoms go away. Um, It's also an incredibly powerful psychoactive experience that, um, which isn't right for everyone for sure. But for some people, it can be really, really powerful at supporting a, a deep neurological repat. If you go into it with the intention of getting sober and changing your life, so the medicine can support you in, in repatterning. Uh, 
Uh, so what were like some of the realizations that you seen your friend have that really stuck out to you that made you look at yourself and see how empty it was that you were? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think like the first thing that comes up is when she first got through her detox and I went to visit, I had gone gone down to Mexico myself and like stayed in a little Airbnb while she was in there. She was so sick before she went in, you know, like just so not present, like not able to hold a conversation. And when that day when I like first saw her afterwards, it was like the first time in several years where she like fully held my eye contact and was like, Jen, how are you? Like, how is this experience going for you? And like expressed all this curiosity about me. And honestly, I just like started crying or like, it just felt like I had my friend back, you know? And that level of presence, I think, I don't know if I realized it in that moment, but what I came to realize over time is that like, that's what feels good. You know, like that's what makes life worth living is when we're in connections with each other that are that real and present. And um, I think more and more, like as I've moved through my recovery journey, like that that's what it's all about for me. It's like, how can I create more more space for that kind of relationship and that kind of connection? Like I, I want more of that. It feels good. <laughs> it feels better than doing drugs. And like getting to experience that with her, I think was a part of, pretty big part of that insight for me. And that's, I mean, the thing that, amazes me, has always amazed me and continues to about the work that you do with the with the organization and community that you eventually founded. And I think just also the person that you are is that it's it's so far beyond, you know, I experienced this connection. So let me just put people together. You know, it's let me really untangle all the different parts of that and, and then and see how I can line them up and then show them, teach them to other people, because we don't learn that. Like we don't learn how to connect. I mean, some people I think probably get more tools than others, whether that's from family or community or anything like that. And also maybe just naturally, but we really, I mean, the things that in the few connection practices that I was in with Seek Healing, which, you know, we'll get into more the details of that because I know some folks won't know what that means, but the very beginning you lay out this is what listening can look like. You know, these are, these are different ways to respond to someone. These are ways to pay attention even that is just like, oh my gosh, I've, I'm in my forties and nobody ever told me that before, you know? And, and so not only is it like, let me bring people together, but let me, you know, hold your hand and very gently um, and lovingly, you know, show you how. So how did you go from that to, you know, being in this gung-ho earning gold stars to this where you are literally just, I mean, holding people up to the sunshine right now. And like, what was that journey? I'm so (laughs) curious. (laughs) Yeah, it's been quite a journey. Um, Well, I think what I'll say is that I just really appreciate what you're saying about like, it's so much deeper than just putting people in a room together to connect. And that has, that's really fueled the development of this organization, a particular take that we have to offer to the recovery community because the like you know we do have this loneliness epidemic that was announced this year, which I think a lot of people when they hear that word they're like oh well I have plenty of connections around me I'm not lonely you know but the truth is that those connections aren't marked by this quality of conversation that you're talking about then you can feel isolated and alone even in a room full of people even at a party even in a life that like mine that was full of professional connections and social connections and lots of like social status 
hand wavy stuff. <laughs> but it's like if it's not, um, yeah, if it's not barked by that that quality that um, brings more meaningful uh, listening and deeper connection, which none of us are taught. And those of us struggling with addiction who have likely also navigated different kinds of attachment trauma are particularly inclined to either avoid <laughs> deep relationship or engage it in a way that, that keeps our most vulnerable selves protected. And that, that keeps us from being able to experience connection in a way that's really healing. So yeah, I, I get so psyched about how we can repattern that and like teach each other how to just talk to each other in a way that's more real and more meaningful. I mean, it, it came about in a kind of, uh, it just unfolded <laughs> once this intention was set. I think I, I couldn't afford to live where I was living anymore. So after my treatment, I quit my job and got ordained as a, as a minister um, and <laughs> made the way that I've made most of my bills the past few years is um, facilitating ceremonies, wedding ceremonies and funerals and other kinds of ceremonies for people. Um, and we Wait, brought real together. Quick, real mm-hmm. quick, what was that? Like, where did that come from? <laughs> 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 what, what was the motivation? Like, how, like, was that something that already existed as an interest or like, were you called to that through the, the, the detox experience that you had or yeah. What's the motivation? Kind of, uh, it was honestly my friend invited me to facilitate or uh, officiate her wedding that summer. So like right before I went to detox and it went really well and everybody loved it. <laughs> and when I got back and was like, you know, leaving this job and trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, I was like, well, I did pretty good at that. Like <laughs> that's the thing that I can do. <laughs> um, I also tried to start another business during that time, um, buying and selling art and jewelry, which did not go very well. But the, the wedding business went, yeah, it, it took off enough that I could pay my bills um, nice. while we were figuring wow. out security. Yeah. Okay, my bad to interrupt. I just had to know. I'm so glad you asked too. I was like, that is a side hustle I haven't heard about before. <laughs> side hustle being entirely the wrong word, but yeah, thank no, you for, that's what thank I you for it. asking it, and going into it. Do you really? Oh my God. Yeah, that's definitely. It is. I mean, it works out perfectly because I'm, you know, spending however much time, like most of the wedding or, or like there are other ceremonies, like um, funerals and baby ceremonies and stuff. And it requires like a lot of time the day of the ceremony. And like a little bit of development in between, but it just gave me the ability to make a a larger amount of money in a like shorter amount of time, so I could mm-hmm. spend the rest of my work week focusing on chic healing because it took several years before we were like fun up enough to start paying salaries and things like that. Uh, yeah, so you quit your job, you you couldn't afford the apartment in D.C. anymore where you were staying at in D.C., and so you started officiating weddings. So you can have a little bit more bread so that you have more time to work on Seek Healing. Is Seek Healing your idea at this point? Yeah, it was an idea almost immediately. I mean, it kind of came together between my friend's detox was in January 2016. um, And I went in October. So between the eight months between hers and mine, and then I took some time off like right after mine. Um, the idea started to come to being uh, in the wake of her treatment, which we realized the, the clinic that she went to only held her for 30 days. And then there was absolutely no aftercare, no support or anything afterwards, which at the time I was like, oh, you know, this is needed specifically post ibogaine assisted therapy, which is this like very specific niche form of, of detox. But then as we continued to flesh out the idea, we're like, oh, no, this is actually really important post any kind of mental health treatment. Um, mm-hmm. Like that 
the depth of support that people need in community afterwards is is missing, especially for folks who maybe don't vibe with the 12 steps or um, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, don't find a home in a home group. And so part of it was that like explicit need for some sort of community-based aftercare. And then everything else that I was talking about before about what I learned about relationship through being in a relationship with her. And then a lot of the things that I realized through my treatment process kind of planted the seeds for this more social and relationally oriented take on recovery. And and I think I want to specify that as well. Like what Seek Healing does is really designed to to only focus on the social part of recovery. So it's not designed to replace therapy or treatment or a 12-step program, which is really crucial for a lot of people in early recovery. It's just meant to support specifically the, the relationship and friendship part, which is so hard to rebuild um, or to create for the first time if all you're used to is, you know, the kind of yeah. transactional relationships that we have when we're in active addiction. Yeah, yeah. when you talk about human connection, um, even with the Phoenix, like, I, I like getting active um, but I think what's led me to get active is those moments of connection and everybody's introducing themselves to everybody. The conversation that I'll have at a CrossFit class, which at one point I would never have done in the first place, but it's like, you know, hanging around this being a work that I do. Like you hang around a barbershop so many times you're going to get a haircut. So, uh, mm-hmm. you hear so many people say, yeah, like, you know, running has, you know, changed my life, uh, or, or CrossFit has changed my life or yoga has changed my life. Like, let me go see what it's talking about. And I go, and maybe I don't have a great time the first 20 times that I go, maybe 25 times. But when I walk by somebody and dap somebody up, or when they're like, you know, come on, let's go, Bryce, let's go, Bryce. Like it's that element of connecting with somebody else has been crucial to to my unfolding, but also uh, has planted the seeds for me to be prepared for like life, (laughs) Because, you know, life still be life in. And in those tough <laughs> moments, like, it's, it's harder in those tough moments. Um, a, a good friend of mine, a brother of mine, lost a friend of his uh, this past weekend. And he has established, like, he's he's in my men's group. He's in, he's in a lot of different things. And so he has established, like, these communities that can wrap around him right now versus having to, like, get ready in crisis. Like, oh, I need somebody right now, right now, because I'm going through this thing. Like, he has the established communities that he can come to. He's come to Phoenix program, and he's, you know, they can wrap around him. So uh, with the importance of human connection just for life in general, like, why do you think that it's important for, like, social health? Yeah, I mean, for all the reasons that you just named, Bryce, I think that's so true. And it's like all human beings need this. We're, we're hardwired for social interaction with each other. And we, when we don't get it, you know, research is increasingly clear that we get sick <laughs> when we don't have that. And, you know, addiction and substance use, honestly, are, like, um, our bodies go-to strategy for dealing with that lack of connection. It's like how we, how we survive when we don't have that connection in our lives. So yeah, social health is this word that we've, or this phrase that, you know, I think some of us in the space are starting to use to refer to how important it is to have healthy social connections. And it's part of what has brought Phoenix and Peak Healing together so strongly is this shared value on social health and understanding and really building programs around the importance of social connection in recovery and healthy social connection conversations and interactions that are marked by these like more meaningful ways of listening to each other 
and speaking too, right? It's also about like learning how to speak authentically and not like through the filter that I think will make me come across a certain way or like look good to the world. It's like, how do I start speaking vulnerably and how do I slow down enough to like actually listen meaningfully Uh, to the person who's talking to me and not just plan what I'm going to say next. Like all these things contribute to us feeling alone, even when we're in, um, in connection with each other. So that, yeah, I just, I'm such a clearly (laughs) passionate advocate for social health, regardless of who you are, but especially if you're struggling with substance abuse. Yeah. And I mean, like in the realm of substance use, part of that vulnerability is knowing that whatever it is I'm experiencing right now, or at least having the notion or feeling comfortable to feel that whatever it is that I'm experiencing now, I can share and be supported in that. And I know in the form that you sent in before we uh, got together today, there was uh, a mention of like harm reduction, abstinence culture. Uh, and I know this is just, I've, I've seen it in the recovery community, something that can be a bit divisive uh, because when something changes my life, uh, and I'm a, I'm a member of 12 Step, uh, when something changes my life, I want to share it with the world because it's done wonders for me. And if I do that without this ability to communicate that we've talked about, this this knowledge of empathy and being able to show up for people who are having different experiences than us, then I, I can lead with, you have to do it like I did it. And if you don't do it like that, like you're, you're going to die. And I, I really care about you. And <laughs> And I've seen that kind of go overboard and I understand it also because, you know, that's that's like I empathize with that. Like, I just want to share this with you. Uh, what, is, what is your take on um, that balance and the importance of harm reduction within a community of people who have been, been impacted by substance use disorder? Well, I just really appreciate you drawing the line between harm reduction and um, non-judgmental communication or connect like this kind of authentic connection we're talking about. Like that's that's where and why I care about harm reduction because I think harm reduction is more of a mindset than a, a particular program or practice or some. Of course, it like manifests in programs like syringe access and stuff like that. But I think at its core, it's it's this mindset of empathy and non-judgment and trusting that every pathway to recovery is valid. And if people are safe and well, that's first and foremost. And that, and also like remembering that safety and wellness is a spectrum. <laughs> and, you know, when we're early on, like just not using our DOC is, is safety. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then we get, we get to expand our experience of safety and wellness to like, oh, what could it also feel like to not be anxious all the time? And what could it feel like to, you know, breathe more deeply? And oh, maybe that means I also want to let go of caffeine or cannabis or whatever else. And so I just, believe that from specifically from this communication perspective, it's so crucial because like you said, if someone receives the energy of you got to do it this way or, uh, you know, kind of forcing you into a certain way of thinking, then that just breaks connection. You know, it, 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 I stop feeling connected to you in that moment and I start feeling either defensive or like I should do something. And I know for me in my recovery, like both of those ways of being have not served me <laughs> in the past, right? Like, like a part of those patterns that aren't good for me and that take me back to substances. So if we approach things with more of a harm reduction mindset, with more of a like, let me just listen to you and respect whatever it is you have to say about your, you know, either conscious or unconscious choices to engage with substances, then it, it just creates space 
for me to process my own experience and to look at my options in a realistic way. And I've just seen so much more movement and transformation happen for people when they feel like they have the space to like really think about it all um, without being judged. Mm. Mm. Removing that shame is just that, that shame is just like, I mean, it's just this sticky, sticky thing that it just sticks to you that, that I feel like, and then it, and it spreads, you know, in communities and in conversations. And I know, you know, for, for me and for so many people that we've, we've spoken to, that is just such a huge part of all of this, you know, and it's a, a little shocking, I think sometimes to uncover levels of shame, like even once you're in, in recovery, you can, you know, be like, okay, I'm all better now. And then realize that there's all still all these layers that we're um, working with. And sometimes, you know, projecting, because I think a lot of the communication you're talking about, like I think you, you even said like uh, unconscious choices that we're making. I think that's a big part of the communication breakdowns that happen is, is there's, there's things, there's times that I'm certainly projecting a version of myself that sometimes I don't even realize I'm doing it. That's not the real me. It's not like my, mm-hmm. my deep down authentic self, you know, I'm just so used to putting on, you know, whatever it is I think is needed in a moment. So yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just like discovering things in my brain as they're coming out of my mouth. But yeah, I think I, I was hoping to lead into as, as with as little eloquence as I possibly can find apparently into just a conversation about how you take care of yourself. Cause you are, you know, you're showing up in this authentic way and, and communicating in this, you know, beautifully like self-aware way, but also you are running an organization now and you are a boss, you know, and you are <laughs> creating partnerships and, you know, signing legal documents, all, all the things that come along with that. How do you continue to take care of yourself? How do you, how do you realize those moments where you're reaching for a gold star? Because mm-hmm. I feel like for me anyways, those still come up all the time. Yeah, I really appreciate that you're asking this question. Um, I mean, even just what you were just talking about with the layers of shame and the that you keep hearing that, but I just resonate with that so much and experience recovery, like this onion, you know, you just peel back one yes. layer and you find another one. And for me with the gold stars, it's absolutely like that. Like I think that I've rid myself, and, um, you know, and like achieved this new level of mindfulness and um, recovery only to discover another way that I'm still, you know, with seek healing or with my career, like still trying to like, yeah, um, prove myself in some way or get validation. And there's elements of that that are beautiful. I mean, it, it drives me to be a really hard worker. I bring a really strong work ethic to creating this organization. Um, and I have to like be constantly in checking myself um, around that and noticing where I might be either pushing myself too hard or as we have a, a team now, um, pushing my staff too hard and, you know, holding all of us to expectations, you know, that like, echo with hustle culture uh, in a way that I don't want them to. So you can like really look at that and be like, okay, how can we let go of that? How can we prioritize our, ourselves first? So the question just feels really good to receive. Some things that I do are really intentionally unplugging on the weekends. Um, I will literally unplug and not look at my phone at least one day a weekend. And I try to take every couple months or so a weekend where I do that, like going camping or I'm taking a little bit of time fully away from this matrix. <laughs> that really, really helps me. Yeah. So that's one way. And my yoga practice is another really big one. I think we've talked about that before, Liz. That's where you and I share, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yoga has been a lifesaver for me. Hot yoga, as hot as I can get it. As long as I can get it, oh my <laughs> as sweaty gosh. as possible. <laughs> Same. Yeah. And I, I, I find myself apologizing for that. Like as if there's something wrong with like mm-hmm. wanting this certain kind of yoga and the powerful practice and the hot practice and everything. And I've recently 
started catching myself and be like, all right, I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to feel bad about the kind of yoga that I find healing mm. in. Like, it's such a funny little thing. It's, yeah. So I know what you mean because people are like, oh my God, hot yoga. Like, that's so yeah. intense. And I mean, all yoga is wonderful. And yeah, yeah I appreciate that you, you like it the way that I do. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So much. So much. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Also, like, in the realm of human connection, like I just found myself getting around more people who understood the language, <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. if I got to keep apologizing, like, yeah, I know, I, like, ah, yeah, I know, mm, yeah, I know, but uh, I learned this technique or like, you know, in this book or like, you know, uh, meditation or like journaling, like, ah, yeah, I know, mm, yeah. like I have to like, I have to pre- precursor what I say with like, okay, there's a disclaimer. I know I may be overboard right now. And it's like, hmm, maybe I've hit the ceiling like in this specific social social circle. Mm. And 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 and, the, mm. and that's and there's no like nobody has a monopoly on what's right. So I used to think, well like, you know, oh, let me turn it down. And it's like, uh not what I desire is not to turn down. And so where are the people that are like is about as turn around this as I am? <laughs> and then I inevitably find them because now I'm radiating that frequency. And uh, we just attract each other, especially if I have my antenna up for like where these people may be. And I'm, I'm actively, OK, well, what's going on in Sea Killing? Let me join this class and see what's going on here. Like what's going on with the Phoenix? I've never been rock climbing. I've never been bike packing. What, what, what the hell is that? Like, Let me do that. Like, whatever. <laughs> you know, like there's got to be some cool people there. So, yeah, no, nah, if we ever feel like uh, you turn the heat up on the hot yoga and I'm sorry, I apologize. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe we got to go to a different room. <laughs> I, I, I think too, like like d- doubly. I just want to point out, like doubly so, especially everybody in this room and is in this in this on this show talking right now, and maybe for some of you listening right now, where like there's a susceptibility to burnout because the spaces that we are creating are filled with techniques that we ourselves have used to support ourselves. And when what it is that we use becomes what it is that we give for work, there can be that blurred line of like, you know, you see this a lot with people who work in recovery spaces, whereas like I can't confuse showing up and doing this work 24-7 for like my own recovery practices. Um, There has to be that deviation like how you said, you know, I turn on my phone, you know, and I've I've been Mm. getting way better with that too. But like I, I turn off my phone and, and get away because <laughs> I got to because that's how I dig into my stuff. But is, is there some things that maybe were a contribution to your well-being, but then when you started creating spaces professionally to share those things that you had to find another way to cultivate a relationship with them? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's an ongoing exploration for me, I think, at these we talked a couple of times about what Seek Healing offers are these sessions where you get to practice this kind of communication in a real-time way. And so I facilitate a lot of those meetings and I've also done my best to build a staff and organizational culture where we're practicing those kinds of techniques in our actual workplace meetings as well. So I'm often, yeah, I'm often like either explicitly teaching about mindfulness and communication or facilitating it uh, either for participants or for our staff. And I think there, it, just exactly what you said, Bryce, I think there's a way that I can run into the danger of like, oh, I'm so, you know, I'm, I'm great at this. Like, I don't need to 
set aside time to go, you know, to someone else's connection practice and just like receive, like go myself as a participant, like, cause I'm facilitating all the time. Like that's enough. And absolutely is not like, <laughs> it's so different to show up as a participant versus showing up as a facilitator. So yeah, I'm actively trying to make sure that I am showing up for our, like for myself at meetings that Seek Healing runs um, and in support spaces outside of Seek Healing, honestly especially as I gain, as I like become more, more visible in the community, it's one thing to go and like be seen and recognized and like known by everyone as like Seek Healing's founder. Um, and it can be really, just really important to my recovery to go to a space where I'm more anonymous and yeah. um, where I can yeah, just try, like try, show up. Try, <laughs> try being a podcast host for an organization. It's <laughs> showing up for yoga. <laughs> I'm just trying to do. I'm just trying to do yoga, y'all. And hey, bro, we got Bryce in the building. Like I'm in yeah. a downward dog right now. Um, but and and so I, and I know, like everybody listening, y'all know how I am about this show. Um, I I go above and beyond to make sure that it doesn't sound any way commercially. Uh, <laughs> but you know, you also know how much I love and appreciate the resources that we have and how they're accessible they are to those who need them. And so now I kind of want to put the spotlight on both of you, uh, Jennifer and Liz, because you all have been doing some really cool things behind the scenes to collaborate and cross-pollinate the Phoenix and the sea killing communities. And for those listening uh, that are like, look, I want to get involved with Seek Healing. I'm already a part of the Phoenix or I'll, I'll turn this on because I'm familiar with Jennifer. want to learn more about her story, but I don't know too much about the Phoenix. Like how can people get involved? What exists now that you all have created? I can kind of um, lead us off here and then I'll, I'll Jennifer, I'll, I'll ask you to speak more to Seek Healing in particular. I think we might have spoken about this in another episode. I don't even know. I don't know what order they necessarily would drop in, but we are, yeah, we we're inviting partners into the Phoenix app, which is really exciting. And we're starting small um, because, you know, we want to make sure that things are things are going really, really well before you open it up bigger. Um, but we have Seek Healing as one of the partners that has joined us in the Phoenix app in our partner spaces. So what used to be groups, if you've got the Phoenix app already, um, are now spaces. And there's just, there's partners in there now. There's, there's other organizations, other communities who are joining the space so that you can, you know, if you download the Phoenix app, you can find other cool things. You can go to a smart recovery meeting or a recovery Dharma meeting or a Ben's friends meeting, or you can go to a seek healing connection practice. And you can find that through the app that maybe just happened to be the thing that you came across, um, which is really exciting because, you know, we talk about, I, I mean, just like you said earlier too, Jennifer, that, that the Phoenix is a, you know, community and fun activities and all these incredible things. And for some people, it is really their major source of recovery resources. But for others, it's a additional, you know, piece. And sometimes there are seasons in our lives, what we need during recovery, you know, and it's just really powerful, I think, to be able to give people the opportunity to find other, like lots of different communities, lots of different resources. And um, yeah, so if, if you download the Phoenix app, which we always link that in our um, show notes, you know, you're able to to come across uh, the, the Seek Healing community right through there. And then we'll also link places you can find Seek Healing directly in the show notes. But we've we've kind of touched on all the different things that that you do and what makes Seek Healing so special. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll not try to speak for you anymore. Jennifer, tell us what, what folks can do if they, if they do come across you. Oh, it's perfect. I mean, I'm just so grateful for this collaboration with the Phoenix to get 
what we're doing out there more um, and what y'all are doing with the Partner Spaces app, I just think is so important and intuitive to your point about we need different things during different seasons of this this process and this work. So I've been exploring it more myself and excited to like see more of, you know, what's available out there and um, to get plugged into the Phoenix world as well to, to support my process. So, so the main things that Seek Healing offers, we've touched on during this time together already are connection practice meetings, which are just drop in, one off, anybody can come. Um, and experience this. You can, it's what it sounds like. You practice connecting and you do that by practicing these specific listening tools and practice speaking vulnerably. And it's always facilitated by someone who's gone through our facilitation training. So those are all drop-in. We do run them that are affinity-based. Um, so the, the public ones, anyone can come. And then there's some that are still on a drop-in basis, but are like just for queer folks or just for BIPOC or just for some people or uh, whatever the case may be. And then listening training is our other big offering. And that's more of a educational experience around the skills that we practice in connection practice. So it's either a six-week series or a two-day retreat. We run them in person here in Western North Carolina. Um, But through the Phoenix app, you can sign up to do the six-week online series. And it's just a really powerful, especially I, I love to recommend it for folks in early recovery because it's a great thing to dive into that you know, all of our programming is 100% free, but listening training hours will count towards your peer support certification and are just a really great way to take a deep dive into some pretty basic tools that can be the foundation for building your relationships in recovery. So listening training, connection practice, and then we have a longer or a deeper dive, I could say, for folks who want to learn how to facilitate. And that's called our social health facilitation training. It's kind of comparable to uh, a yoga teacher training. It takes 12 weeks to go through the training. And then there's a 100-hour practicum afterwards. You know, you'll, you'll get this once you actually drop into a securing meeting or listening training. But the experience itself, people say that it's not therapy, but it is therapeutic. Uh, and so going through our training, you very explicitly, you're not learning how to like be a therapist, but you are learning how to hold space socially in a way that encourages everyone there to really hear each other. And that's really powerful for facilitating recovery spaces. It's also just like really powerful for showing up in relationships across your life in general, like at work, with your family, with your partner. Um, so we encourage people to take it, you know, regardless of how they're applying it in their life. And we run that twice a year. It's all online. The applications are open right now for our winter cohort, which will start in February. So I'm sure we can share that link if you want to list. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, there, everything that you do is so thoughtfully curated and there's just, you know, emotional safety is, is just top of mind. I, I know in, in the connection practice, not only do you have someone who is uh, facilitating that has gone through your training, but you also have volunteers in there. So if someone does have something, especially, you know, powerful or like a big emotion come up and they just need some support, there's someone there that can be there for them in that way because things things do come up and and it's so cool to be in a space where you don't have to shove it back down or hide it or leave because it's too mm. much for everyone you know i think so many of us are just like trying not to be too much all the time and to not have to put that that mask on in in that space i think is just incredibly healing yeah i think so too and and that's what makes these like the the experiences that we facilitate through seek healing are different from just um you know we can kind of ad hoc experience meaningful connection anywhere, but that's the specific piece that is 
different just in such that you're getting your, you know, when you walk into a seek healing space that it's trauma-informed in that way. And then I rate that there's, you know, both the facilitator and that volunteer there um, to make sure that everyone's getting what they need. So it's just like that added layer of safety, you know, which when you're um, needing that in recovery can be important. Well, I, I, for one, think that this has been a phenomenal conversation um, in a realm of communication, in a realm of showing up for others, in a realm of planting the seeds to allow others to be able to learn how to show up for others. And I think the best way to end this conversation and to go out is to ask the question, because I'm curious as to how you would show up for you. If you can go, Jennifer, to any version of Jennifer, uh, future or past, and tell that version one nugget of advice, uh, love, wisdom, what iteration of Jennifer would you choose and what would you tell her? Wow, what a question. You ask everybody this question? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, a good question. <laughs> That's like when you give somebody a compliment, I was like, I bet you tell that to everybody. It comes out different question. every time. I it's always a little that. different. Uh-huh. My favorite part of the pod. Hmm. Hmm. I think that I would probably go back go back maybe just because it's hard to imagine myself in the future Um, but I would go back to myself like in my early to mid 20s I'm 34 now 35 I just turned 35 I'm losing track (laughs) Um, and I would I think that the thing I would want to tell her uh, is that some kind of context around like slow down it's okay to slow down Um, you're not letting anyone down by slowing down and in fact you're showing up you could show up better uh, for all the people that you want to show up for, for all these things that you care about, it will feel better and you'll do a better job um, if you can just take some time to slow down. Like even just in little ways, in between sentences and in big ways, like just doing working less and taking time in nature. And uh, yeah, I would encourage her to slow down. Uh-huh. Do you Wise think that word. version of Jennifer would listen, would hear that? I was just thinking that I, <laughs> if like, I framed I'm too busy. it with that, I'm too busy to hear you exactly. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I that's why I framed it in that context, like it, you will do better. Like all these things that you're wanting to yeah. do, if I could somehow convince her <laughs> yeah. that her goals would be better met with this advice, then maybe. Yeah, well, um, maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. Who knows? That's so funny. That's it's like sneaking the vegetables into the smoothie. You know what I mean? Like it'll you'll get yes. more done if you know. We <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like trick you into taking care of yourself. That's amazing. Well, regardless of whether previous you would listen, there's somebody out there listening to this podcast who that is going to benefit very, very much. Um, and I, I mean, gosh, I need to hear that. So, so thank you for for sharing yeah. those, those wise words. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Liz, we did it. Hey, we did. We did it. I know. And we um, definitely will link everything that you mentioned in the show notes. Um, is there any other resources any, anywhere else you want to send folks before we before we hit the road here? No, I think we covered everything. I mean, it's all in the Phoenix app now. Yeah, so I, we can send the application link. But besides that, I think we it's all covered. Amazing. All right. Well, we're so grateful for you and just the work that you do in the world and just the person that you are in the world. 
Um, I, I feel like we all, you know, it's easy to just combine people with their work so often, but just, just you as yourself being here today is just so wonderful. So we're so grateful. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. And thank you, Bryce. It's been awesome meeting you. Definitely. Definitely. Thanks for the conversation. Uh, a couple of nuggets of wisdom have stuck in my heart. I know the audience listening, uh, is going to take a lot from this episode and thank you all for listening and we will catch you next time on the rise recovery live podcast so now you're excited bryce liz how do i get involved with the phoenix well my friend it is super simple we actually have an app head over to the google play store or the apple app store or look in the show notes of this podcast wherever you're listening to or watching this podcast and go download the phoenix app The Phoenix app makes it so easy to find classes that are near you or to access our virtual class schedule where you can hop on from the comfort of your home. You can also join our groups and have a conversation with someone from the Phoenix community from anywhere in the world. Please make sure that you join the podcast group where you can connect with Bryce and I and other listeners. Everything that you need is in the show notes. You can also head to our website at www.thephoenix.org. And maybe while you're there, you click the volunteer tab and get even more involved.